0: Section 30 of Fancies versus Fads. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April 6090, California, United States of America. Fancies versus Fads by G. K. Chesterton. Section 30 A Note on Old Nonsense. The Suffragettes have found out that they were wrong. I might even be so egotistical as to say they have found out that we were right. At least they have found out that the modern plutocratic parliamentary franchise is what I for one always said it was. In other words, they are startled and infuriated to find that the most vital modern matters are not settled in Parliament at all, but mostly by a conflict or compromise between trusts and trade unions." hence mrs flora drummond actually cries aloud that she is being robbed of her precious vote and says dramatically we women are being disenfranchised apparently by soviets it is as if somebody who had just spent half a million on a sham diamond that ought never to have deceived anybody should shriek from the window that thieves had stolen the real diamond that never existed at all whether or no there were soviets there are undoubtedly strikes and i do not underrate the difficulty or danger of the hour there is at least a case for blaming men for striking right and left illogically and without a system there is a case for blaming them for striking steadily and logically in accordance with a false system there is a case for the saying that direct action implies such a false system but there is no case whatever for blaming them for having depreciated the waste paper of the Westminster ballot box, for that was depreciated long before the war, and long before the word Soviet came to soothe and satisfy the mind of Mrs. Drummond. It is absurd to blame the poor miners for discrediting the members of Parliament, who could always be trusted to discredit themselves. It was not the wild, destructive Soviet which decided that Parliament should not know who paid the bills of its own political parties. It was Parliament itself, it was not a mad bolshevist addressing a mob who said that the men of the parliamentary group have to treat charges of corruption among themselves differently from those outside it was the greatest living parliamentarian in a great parliamentary debate miners had no more to be with it than missionaries in the cannibal islands it was not because men could not get coal that they wanted to get coronets and the empty coal scuttle did not fill the party chest but in any case the policy of people like mrs drummond seems to require explanation i can only fall back on the suggestion i have already made that she and her friends insisted on taking shares in a rotten concern they were quite sincere so far as anybody can be quite sincere who flatly refuses to listen to reason they have no right to complain if those who had to listen to their lawlessness will not listen to their legalism as a fact such a lady is rather contemptuous than complaining she says the miners do not want nationalization which may or may not be true but she explains the demand by the old disdainful allusion to agitators or labor leaders who have to beat the big drum or lose their jobs nobody of course could possibly connect mrs flora drummond with the idea of a big drum any more than with a big horse or a uniform or a self-created military rank but this particular school of feminists must not be too fastidious in the present case the minors are poor and rudely instructed men and cannot be expected to have that touch of quiet persuasiveness and softening courtesy by which the militant suffragettes did so much to defend the historic dignity of their sex they have to fall back on something only too like a big drum having no skill in the silvery flutings of the wspu or that tender lute which miss pankhurst touched at twilight but under all the disadvantages of the coarser sex the advocates of nationalization have not yet used all the methods that precedent might suggest to them mr smiley has not cut up any raphaels or Rembrandts at the national gallery nor even set fire to any of the theatres he may happen to pass when he is out for a walk mr bonar law on returning home at evening does not find mr sidney webb a solitary figure chained to his railings one of the suffragettes distinguished herself by getting inside a grand piano but it is seldom that we open our own private piano and find a large coal miner inside the instrument the coal miner may be better at the big drum than the grand piano but he remains on the outside of both and his drum is really smaller than some the big drum however is rather a convenient metaphor for something obvious and loud and hollow and the true moral in the matter is that recent english history was a procession led far too much by the big drum and the agitation about mere parliamentary votes was one of the most recent and most remarkable examples of it what will be the future of the present industrial crisis i will not prophesy but i do know that every element in the past which has led to this impasse in the present has been thus glorified as a mere novelty by such a noisy minority it was just because sanguine and shallow people found it easier to act than to write and easier to write than to think that every one of the changes came which now complicate our position the very industrialism which makes us dependent on coal and therefore on coal miners and coal owners was forced on us by fussy inefficient fools for whom anything fresh seemed to be free neither miners nor mine owners could have put out the fire by which shakespeare told his winter's tale the unequal ownership which has justly alienated the workers was hurried happily through because the owners were new and it did not matter that they were few the blind hypocrisy with which our press and publicists hardened their hearts in the great strikes before the war was made possible by loud evasions about political progress and especially by the big drum of votes for women i have begun this essay on a controversial note with the echo of an old controversy and yet i do not mean to be merely provocative the suffragettes are only doing what we all do and i have only put them first as an example of accumulated abuses for which we are all responsible i do not mean to blame the suffragettes as they blame the socialists but only to point to an impasse of impotence for which we are all to blame i am more and more convinced that what is wanted nowadays is not optimism or pessimism but a sort of reform that might more truly be called repentance the reform of a state ought to be a thing more like the reform of a thief which involves the admission that he has been a thief we ought not to be merely inventing consolations Or even merely prophesying disasters we ought first and foremost to be confessing our own very bad mistakes it is easy enough to say that the world is getting better by some mysterious thing called progress which seems to mean providence without purpose but it is almost as easy to say the world is getting worse if we assume that it is only the younger generation that has just begun to make it worse it is easy enough to say that the country is going to the dogs if we are careful to identify the dogs with the puppies. What we need is not the assertion that other people are going to the dogs, but the confession that we ourselves have only just come back from the swine. We are also the younger generation, in the sense of being the prodigal son. As somebody said, there is such a thing as the prodigal father. We could purchase hope at the dreadful price of humility, but all thinkers and writers of all political parties and philosophical sects seem to shrink from this notion of admitting that they are on the wrong road and getting back onto the right one. They are always trying to pretend, by hook or crook, that they are all on the same somewhat meandering road, and that they were right in going east yesterday, though they are right in going west today. They will try to make out that every school of thought was an advance on the last school of thought, and that no apology is due to anybody." For instance, we might really have a moderate, cautious, and even conservative reform of the evils affecting labor if we would only confess that capitalism itself was a blunder, which it is very difficult to undo. As it is, men seem to be divided into those that think it an achievement so admirable that it cannot be improved upon, and those who think it an achievement so encouraging that it can be improved upon the former will leave it in chaos and the latter will probably improve it into slavery neither will admit what is the truth that we have got to get back to a better distribution of property as it was before we fell into the blunder of allowing property to be clotted into monstrous monopolies for that involves admitting that we have made a mistake and that we none of us have the moral courage to do i suggest very seriously that it will do good to our credit for courage and right reason if we drop this way of doing things the conversions that have converted the world were not affected by this sort of evolutionary curve st paul did not pretend that he had changed slowly and imperceptibly from a pharisee to a christian victor hugo did not maintain that he had been very right to be a royalist and only a little more right to be a republican If we have come to the conclusion that we have been wrong, let us say so, and congratulate ourselves on being now right, not insinuate that in some relative fashion we were just as right when we were wrong. For in this respect the progressive is the worst sort of conservative. He insists on conserving in the most obstinate and obscurantist fashion all the courses that have been marked out for progress in the past. He does literally in the rather unlucky metaphor of tennyson let the great world spin forever down the ringing grooves of change for anyone who changes in that fashion has only got into a groove there is no obligation on anybody to invent evolutionary excuses for all these experiments there is no need to be so much ashamed of our blunders as all that it is human to err and the only final and deadly error among all our errors is denying that we have ever erred. End of section 30.